Hello everyone and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and I can only apologise if the audio quality is a bit bad from me or as you can see I am in an oblong position because I'm f- f- filming this on my phone with internet difficulties but we carry on regardless. Joining me today uh, is Mr Samuel Lucas. Samuel, how's it going? Very well, thank you. you, you you're bringing a, a real Phoenix Knights quality to uh, today's <laughs> podcast, and it's and it's from Bolton as well, of course. So mm-hmm. it's it's particularly oh, apt. You do not know how much of a compliment that is to me. That's really <laughs> the show. The show must go on. Definitely. Exactly, Absolutely. really warms really warms my soul. And also with us is Mr. Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's it going? Uh, very well, thank you, Dan. Very well, esteemed to be in such professional company, given the efforts you, you go into to, uh, to get this podcast on the road. As always, as always, last minute substitution brought in, but we'll rock and roll and uh, see <laughs> see see what the see what the show brings. But thankfully, there's um, there's not really much need to plan because there's a big topic that we're all fully aware of, and that's hopefully going to kind of take up most of our talking today. And that is, of course, Ralph Rangnick's first game in charge of United. Um, it was a 1-0 victory over Crystal Palace. Samuel, you were there. And yeah, what were your first impressions of Rangnick's kind of uh, the beginning of his reign? It was very impressive. There was a hell of a lot to take away from it, to write about from it, particularly because he was so quotable again after the game. But when he named an unchanged side, I didn't find that too much of a surprise. Uh, I, I thought the changes would be minimal, minimal not necessarily uh, no changes, but when it came to the start of the game, it, it was still a very different Manchester United side from the one that played against Arsenal, even though it was still the same United side because of the formation. Um, Rangnick is, is a stickler for that 4-2-2-2. I think that might be sacrosanct from now on for United. It's, it's the formation he favoured at Leipzig. And it did work. Uh, Palace looked like they'd prepared for a different United. And, and I suppose that was the dilemma they had going into the game where United have changed manager what two two times in the last two weeks or whatever it is you, you he I suppose they didn't know what to expect really and this was by far and away the most accomplished first half performance that United had all season they they didn't score um quite a, didn't have many saves to make in throughout the whole game at all in fact but it wasn't a reliable gauge of just how much um, how much more sophisticated they looked. They actually looked like a tactical team for the first time since goodness knows when. You you might have to go back to to Mourinho's era to when you could last say that that they actually resembled a team that could be dubbed tactical. But the the pressing worked. Um, McTominay and and Fred underpinned that. I think those two offered more pressures than any other players, which is the way it should be. Um, Rangnick was very complimentary about Ronaldo's uh, energy. I, th- I thought Fernandez and Rashford weren't at the races. I think Fernandez is going to be one to look out for, really, because it, Rangnick is all about control. The amount of times he s- says control in press conferences or in, in interviews, um, it, it, that word always comes up. And Fernandez still isn't mastering that. He's still trying to play a bit too impulsively, a bit too spontaneously. And I was surprised he stayed on as long as he did yesterday. But, you know, United have got decent options in reserve. Um, Greenwood came on. And I think unlike Sancho and, and Rashford, who can be a bit more... Uh, Solskjaer came out with that quote early in the season about United attacking too quickly. And maybe he was he had Sancho and Rashford on his mind when he said that. Whereas Greenwood, I think, is a bit of a more measured forward. And when you look at the goal... The, the ball he receives from Dallow, it's, it's it's an overhit pass, but he kills it. He draws about three players and 
Fred's left un unattended, which might have been deliberate by Palace, given where, where his shots tend to end up. But it was a lovely goal. Um, United deserved to win. They, they should have won by more. I think it was the first clean sheet since March in the Premier League as well. And and that's how how Rangit wanted to start off. And it's a little bit similar to Tuchel as well, I suppose, and that Tuchel had a lot of clean sheets at the start. When he was Chelsea coach, he brought that stability and then they've gradually become a more expansive side. United had quite a good balance, I thought, yesterday against Palace, even though it was Crystal Palace. You, you, you're bound to dominate possession. You, you're going to be coming up against a team with a low block as well. But individually and collectively, it was a, a big step in the right direction. And as, as I touched upon it, I thought Dallow was was excellent again. Tellez was very good again. Lindelof looked a lot better stepping out of defence. And, and maybe that's the way to use Lindelof rather than waiting for him to defend and get uh, outpaced or outfought in a, in a physical duel. Get him on the front foot so he can bring the ball forward, so he can set the tempo and attack. And he did that... Um, he did that very well yesterday. So it, it, it's interesting how after just such a short time together already, Rangnick has clearly benefited uh, the, the team as a collective, but also individuals in that team. And that was only after a, a truncated training session by the sound of things on Saturday because of the, the horrendous weather. So it just goes to show you these players, when they have got a tactical mind overseeing things, can take his stuff on board and, and execute it very well. Yeah, definitely. I think I think what struck me so much just in the first five minutes alone was just how much more higher up the pitch United were. You could see Sancho and Fernandez on the left. And I think you're right with what you're saying about Fernandez perhaps being a casualty for Ragnick because even just from the start, he's playing out of position a bit on the left rather than his kind of favoured middle spot. But I thought the way that they were just so much more higher up the pitch, Sancho was so much more comfortable pressing forward and having a plan and how we should press, which he was so used to under, um, uh, well, who, uh, Favre would have been at Dortmund, wouldn't it, um, for the most of his spell. And then, um, as you say, I think Fred and McTominay both, again, given so much more, as they're playing more of a dynamic, almost like an old-fashioned 4-4-2, obviously it was 4-2-2-2, but their roles were kind of more the traditional, what we'd consider maybe 90s, Premier League football where they're just two box to boxes given the freedom to go up and down the pitch and I think it suited both of them so much more to be that kind of dynamic presence winning the ball and bringing it forward um, Fred especially than it does them just being the two sitters who have to hold and then always end up getting caught out as they did so many times I think yeah the first five minutes especially and then the first half as a whole really showed what Ragnick is about and what the direction United is going to go in and as you say so impressive already to think that they've only done it on half a training session, it bodes well for the the weeks and months to come, Tyrone, and kind of, you know, just how much Rangnick can change this team. And, it, and it's a shame to kind of look back at Solskjaer and kind of kick him when he's down sort of thing, but it does kind of show the difference in what an actual elite-level coach makes and makes it even more perplexing that United stuck with um, more sentimental reasonings for having their manager for so long. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, you mentioned the the aggressiveness there and playing high up, and that certainly the front the front four I think have played high up at, high up at games a lot this season. Um, the problem is that they've kind of played that role on their own. Um, in in the defeat at Leicester, it was noticeable how basically the front it felt like the front four were were really not so much pressing but trying to hold their positions and block mm. ways out. But the the two older midfielders in defence yeah. were miles behind them. The gap. 
they're all going together. There's less, you know, there's no gaps. You started to see that under Carrick that the back four played a, a higher line and the the gaps between them have, have concertinaed a bit, and that certainly helps in in terms of pressing. Um, it, it was a very impressive start considering the, the limited training time he had and the, the conditions he had. You know, he he was he was quite a few times on Friday. He warned against expecting anything sort of. You know, any kind of revolution within one or two games, it was more like it's going to take several months to do. But it was it was an impressive start. He mentioned as well how it's going to be a lot of video analysis sessions to kind of explain to the team how he wants to play. But these are all top level footballers. A lot of them are world class footballers. They will pick it up very quickly. I think this week is is probably a big help to build on it. I think you know we might look ahead to the young boys game later, but United have guaranteed top spot already. I mean, really, he could make 11 changes there and then that gives him a Thursday training session with the team that's going to play Norwich. It's almost an extra training session that you wouldn't get in a week where there was something riding on that Champions League game. So this week should be a chance to, to build on that as well. So it was an impressive start. Interesting what you both say on, on Fernandez. I think there's, you know, he's he, he can be an aggressive presser, but like, like Samuel said, he plays on impulse an awful lot and he plays on emotion a lot. And I think he's someone that he will lose the ball a lot because of what he tries. Mm. And I think an issue with Fernandez is that when he loses the ball, he wants to win it back and chase and win it back. And that can be fine, but you've also got to do it within that pressing structure. And you wonder if it's it's going to take a bit of coaching for him to sometimes say, that's not my job, that's not my man to go to, rather than press. It's easy in a pressing structure where if one too many people go, suddenly there's a gap and they can play out too easily. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops um, with Fernandez, but again, it's one of those things that plenty of time on the training ground will do. And I think it was, you know, it, it was a very impressive and, and very solid start, considering the, the limited training time. They certainly looked a more coherent and structured team than they have at pretty much any point this season. We've touched on a few players there already who kind of impressed um, already under Rangnick. I think Samuel, we have to start with kind of the headline of the match winner. Fred, I feel like he was going to win the Man of the Match award before he somehow scored. I mean, I've seen Fred slice shots with his stronger foot out for a throw-in. So how he's doing that with his weaker foot, I'll never really know. But it kind of shows how much of a confidence player he is. And he's been playing well under Michael Carrick. Spoke at length about him in his final pre-match press conference. And he seems like a sort of player who's going to really, really thrive under Rangnick. He's a, you know, very energetic um, can get about the pitch, will follow instructions. And as we've seen him playing for Brazil, when he's playing that bit further forward and not sitting, he does it really well. He does it really well for Brazil and keeps the likes of Fabinho out the side. So is it kind of finally going to unlock? You know, we've seen flashes of Fred here and there um, throughout Solskjaer's reign. And he's just never been able to kind of... There's always there's always a Rick not too far away. There's always a mistake. There's always a bad game. But it now feels like under Rangnick, he could actually finally be in his favourite position and really kind of unlock um, the, the quality we have seen in flashes. It's almost as if over the last two weeks they've been reintroduced to tactics, as, as, as blunt as that sounds. But with, with Solskjaer, obviously McTominay and Fred was, was is a partnership that was uh, that was derided quite a lot by, by a section of the fan base. And, and unfairly at times when, up until this season anyway, they're... Their win percentage together was was very very impressive. Um, they they were good in big games. They they had an absolute purpose in that team. And with that triangle with Fernandez last season, it did work. When it got to a point this season where it wasn't working 
Solskjaer didn't do anything to address it effectively. He would just overplay them, overplay them to the point where with McTominay in his last game at Watford under Solskjaer, he wasn't fully fit. He was still a bit unwell from missing the Scotland game in the week. Gives away a penalty inside the first five minutes, gets books, gets substituted at half time. But that was classic Solskjaer, and that he would turn to players who, irrespective certain players anyway, irrespective of form and irrespective of their fitness, and always play them. And we've seen how disastrous that selection strategy was in the results he incurred towards the end of his United reign, and how beneficial it has been to have competition over the last couple of weeks with Dallow and Tellers coming in. With Fred under Carrick, his role did change slightly in that he was more advanced. He was pushing up uh, the pitch because he's he's very good at pressing and that's the way to use him. And the problem he had with McTominay under Solskjaer was that Solskjaer tried to transform McTominay into a tap-minded midfielder. And overall, he did make him a better player. He made, him, he made McTominay a more rounded midfielder. Uh, McTominay became a, a reasonable goal getter as well. But Solskjaer, I remember, said last year that McTominay was uh, an, an, an attacking midfielder by by trade or something like that. And although he did play further forward in the junior teams, he hardly ever scored for them. One, in the under-18s, he was too wayfish and they didn't think he was physical enough. And then in the under-21s or the under-23s, there were better players ahead of him until he was rather prematurely promoted by Mourinho. But with Mourinho and Solskjaer, you had a hybrid of a manager who knew what to do with him and that Mourinho knew that he had to operate deep, but he was a bit too risk-aversive and Solskjaer added strings to his bow. But then come this season, where there was an imbalance in the midfield, he just allowed McTominay to go and play and get on with it and ran him into the ground effectively. Uh, I mean, McTominay started the season, but then a week later he was he was having groin surgery. So... His his form suffered as a consequence of that, but having Carrick oversee him uh, for, what, two weeks or 10 days, whatever it was, already it seems to have jolted him and it seems to have listed an improvement and a new tactical awareness, whether it just be stalking Callum Hudson-Odoi in the pockets at Chelsea and being more withdrawn and shielding the back four so that United can play with more stability. And in two of their last four games, they've kept clean sheets they've um, they're unbeaten in four games now uh, that's not happened since the start of the season and that's the value of McTominay and Fred when they're used properly Solskjaer towards the end of his time was just not using them properly it was, it was just like flogging a dead horse and he was doing that with other players as well uh, Rich next to me uh, yesterday was saying that arguably the four worst United players this season in terms of performance level are Wan-Bissaka, Shaw, Maguire and Fernandes and those players up until a point have all been unchallenged. Wambasaka and Shaw aren't anymore. Fernandes might not be um, for, for much longer. Maguire, to his credit, I thought had quite a good week. I thought he was pretty good against Arsenal and he was he was decent against um, Palace as well. Um, so going back to Fred, I, I've always thought he was a decent player, not necessarily a player who should be starting weekly for United and, and starting in, in as many games as he has been. But there is absolute merit to having him in in that in that team and in that squad. And under a coach like Rangnick, who wants a double six formation, um, I remember writing about it last week, that it, it all goed well for McTominay and Fred, that Rangnick was an absolute advocate of two midfielders in that system and already they've benefited from it so there'll, there'll be tougher tests ahead and I'm sure they'll come a cropper at some point and, and Rangnick will have to change it up there but 
it, it's not a surprise that they've benefited from from the managerial change or changes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we've said there, the competition, the, the, the players who have been kind of unchallenged are the ones who've let their kind of form go the most. And again, I feel kind of bad for always going back onto Solskjaer, but it seems such a baffling thing because he, he knew that that couldn't happen. So when he Shaw, Telles was brought in, it was clear that United needed a left back because Shaw was kind of not playing well and faltering and looked like, you know, that he might never reach that potential. But then Telles came in to finally offer some competition for his place and Shaw goes on to have his best season, probably in the United shirt, probably the best season of his career, especially when you go um, to his performances for England at the Euros. And then he's dropped off this year. There's a number of things that you could attribute to that kind of fatigue after such a busy summer, you know, the truncated season, etc. and so on. But when his form was clearly dropping, likewise with Wan-Bissaka and Maguire, etc. and so on, he just didn't drop him. And it just and now Rangnick has made him tied look so kind of foolish for never giving Telles and Dallow a proper chance because they've been given them now and they're flourishing. And, you know, if Van der Beek gets a chance in the coming weeks and he does the same and shows his, the quality that we've seen before for him at Ajax and he can actually do it at United, I think it's just going to be further kind of further blows to Solskjaer. I don't want to kind of you know carry on going back to him, but it, the, the difference already after just one game, and I don't think United were perfect in the game. As I said, the first half was where they really impressed, really um, pressed Palace, really looked aggressive and got the ball back, but they still kind of struggled to get many chances and the second half, they did kind of tire a little bit and falter and Palace, you know, if Ayu um, had his shooting boots on, they probably would have lost um, or at least uh, maybe not have won. So it's kind of not the perfect game, but again, it, the, the difference already tie is kind of startling, especially when you look at how Teles and Dallow are doing and as they did do for Carrick's last game as well. Yeah, and you know what we said earlier this season that Toscar probably had a stronger squad to work with than any United manager post Fergie, and yet he still managed to create a two-tier squad in that players on the fringes knew there was nothing they could do to get in a team. Dallow and Tellers are prime examples and are making that look pretty foolish at the meme at the moment. I mean, Wambasaka and Shaw started all twelve or thirteen, twelve or thirteen, can't remember the league games Oscar had now. Um, but they, they both started every Premier League game Solskjaer had this season, despite being out of form. And, you know, for, it, their own misfortune has taken them out of the team, really. But the two people that have replaced them have, have done a great job. And it wouldn't be a surprise if Dallow and Tellers were the first-choice pairing at the moment. So obviously, we wait to see what happens with, with Shaw's recovery. But the fact Dallow started ahead of Wambasaka yesterday shows he's caught Ranić's eye. He was very good again yesterday. And I think he's he's got to be ahead of Wambasaka. Um, at right back at the moment, he just offers so much more going forward. He's so much more dynamic. Wambasaka is is not aggressive enough. I don't think that is more aggressive, and we know he's just not good enough on the ball. Just when the ball comes to him, you know attacks are going to lose impetus, and that is an ongoing problem for him. And it comes back to the fact that United, you know this this line about United assessing eight hundred and four right backs and picking the one that can't attack. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense and. We always say Wambasaka's attacking game is a work in progress and he puts in a good cross and we're saying he's making progress. He shouldn't have to be making progress anymore. Signing for £45 million. He's 23, 24 now. He, he should be pretty much the finished article, but he's not. He's way off it in the final third. And you, you can't have fullbacks like that if you want to win Premier Leagues and, and European Cups these days. You've, you've got to have more in the final third. So I think Dallow definitely should be winning that race at the moment. Tellez has been very good as well. Um, he's certainly laying down a challenge to Shaw. It might be good for Shaw because, as we've said previously, Shaw's, Shaw's two best spells at United have come when Brandon Williams took his place 
and then when Tellez came in last year. So it might be a challenge for him, but it shows there is competition there. And it shows, you know, to go back to Solskjaer, it shows that he didn't use it well enough. Van der Beek and Jesse Lingard especially have been victims of that. Lingard's absence under Solskjaer in the final weeks was was absolutely bizarre. And, you know, I'm not sure he's going to get much game time now, given how, how things have sort of panned out and developed. It looks very likely he's going to leave. I'm not sure whether... I think Van der Beek's only role in this system is replacing Fernandez. I don't see him... And I don't see him getting ahead of Fred because of what Fred can do as a, as a pressing midfielder. And I think then that leaves the one next to Fred who's probably going to play the slightly more defensive role and that's not Van der Beek. So I think his only role is to get in ahead of Fernandez, which he may do, as we were talking about earlier, but I'm not convinced about that. But certainly the fullbacks have been very impressive recently. Dallow over the last two games, Tellez in, in the four, really, since he's come in. It does, you know, it's, it's inescapable that it does reflect poorly on the previous manager and his loyalty to certain players, but it certainly gives Ranić options. And given Dallow and Tellez are probably the better two going forward certainly Dallow there's probably not much in Tellers and Shaw but Tellers's quality might be a little bit better then I think there's every chance that they, they could emerge in the second half of the season as as kind of the first choice fullback pairing yeah definitely I can agree and I say I think Juan Bissaka's got a long road to get back into it now and I say Shaw and Tellers pretty like for like I think I think Shaw's a bit more kind of accomplished defensively whereas Tellers is a bit faster going forward and has a bit more of a wicked delivery and I think his set pieces quite a handy thing to have on on the pitch as well you know he he hit the bar from a free kick against Palace didn't he just before we bring the Palace game to a close Samuel obviously you were there for the game Um, was there any other kind of keen observations you made from Rangnick or how how did it kind of strike you as a United manager I found it quite interesting um, as you noted on Twitter that there was no kind of grandstanding entrance from him it was all very low-key Yardley kind of I was watching it on um well, on the, how I watched it, I saw that he hardly kind of acknowledged the supporters as he came out, kind of just blended in with the rest of the coaches straight to the technical area, kind of business straight away. Um, after the game, he, you know, he applauded and kind of then had his proper welcome, I suppose. But yeah, I thought, found it quite interesting. Uh, there wasn't even an announcement of his um, arrival, was there, from uh, the stadium PA? No, it, it, it was bizarre, even though he's, he's interim manager, uh, he's, he's still the, the manager and, and he's, well, the intention is that he stays on for another two years as as this uh, consultant. But it, it was it was a bit peculiar that he just came out and um, at first it was difficult to identify him because he was among the posse of staff members all wearing identical coats. Uh, I think he, he, I mean, most managers they they shake hands before a game, which isn't isn't something that I'm particularly fond of. It, it never used to be like that, but it's this is the day and age of pre match handshakes. It seems. Uh, but he just strode straight to the, the technical area, and I was kind of like waiting for Alan Keegan, and the stadium compare to say, and uh, you know, give a big welcome to the new manager Ralph Rangnick. But it was nothing like that whatsoever, and, and maybe he preferred it that way. I mean, you go back to when Ryan Giggs made his entrance as caretaker manager, and he did seem to deliberately hang back and take that acclaim. But he was always going to because of what he did for the club. Um, as, as as United's most garlanded player, but that said, I, I can't. You know, Mourinho and Van Gaal were obviously pretty pretty major managers in charge at United, but their entrances, so to speak, weren't particularly memorable. I'm, I'm struggling to even recall them. That might have been because they they 
in Mourinho's case, he'd already managed United a couple of times at, at Wembley in the Community Shield and, and Bournemouth in, in his first league game. Uh, I think Van Gaal, they'd had a midweek friendly at Old Trafford as well. So whether that, that tempered it, I'm, I'm not too sure. But sometimes I think managers would probably rather not have that attention. Um, David Moyes certainly didn't want that attention he, and he did not want that banner either, um, which was just a, a, a dreadful, dreadful idea. And he felt as though he had to, he should earn it. And I think most United fans would agree with that, but some, some silly bugger decided to, uh, to give him a banner without actually doing anything with United. So, uh, but with Ranjik, he, he, he exuded a quiet authority. He wasn't, he, he wasn't shouty at all. He was up and down. The thing about the dugouts at Old Trafford is that where they're raised, they offer a, something that's akin to a tactical vantage point, I suppose, where you can get a better gauge of where the players are positioned on the pitch and whether they should be doing the job that they've been given. And um, the, there wasn't there wasn't much of an interaction with Vieira during the game or, or the fourth official during the game. He was he was mainly speaking to Darren Fletcher, Kieran McKenna, Eric Ramsey to a lesser extent, the, the set piece coach. Unsurprisingly, Mike Phelan, who who was genuinely he was there, believe me, he was there. But it, it's almost as if he's just stood in the background, just hoping to get mistaken for. Alan Keegan, the, the guy who announces it, like maybe he'll shave his beard off soon and that they'll let him stick around the place because at the moment, I mean, he, he was redundant under Solskjaer anyway, but he's, why he's still there just, just boggles the mind. But we've been, I've been saying, why is he still there for a number of months now? Uh, he, he's he's obviously under the cosh a bit from supporters given that Carrick walked last week, but it is just bizarre. When, when he arrived at the hotel on uh, Saturday night, he was almost like trying to look like a criminal coming to court. It was almost as if he was trying to, you know, hide away from from the fans that had assembled outside. But if he was going to walk, you'd have thought he'd have he'd have walked by now. Well, that kind of gives us a kind of a uh, in, a good segue to uh, Chris Amas, uh, the former Toronto manager and uh, New York Red Bulls coach, who's obviously had experience with Rangnick in the past. He's set to come in as uh, on, to join Rangnick's coaching staff. And which obviously kind of increases the pressure on Phelan even more. Um, what do you know of Amas, Samuel? And what's, what do you think he's going to bring to United kind of going forward and helping Rangnick out? I was hoping you'd ask Ty this because I'd, I'd literally never heard of him. <laughs> Sorry, you've, you've <laughs> written the article. I had to go with you. <laughs> yeah, before Taylor Twyman uh, tweeted about it earlier. Uh, but yeah, very, very... Um, brief uh quick hasty research i suppose um is that he, he knows he's known to rangnick through the red bull group um which obviously rangnick was involved in for seven years i think it was as sporting director and he had a couple of stints coaching leipzig as well um his you know his his remit there was was so all-consuming that someone like Tyler Adams, who played for New York Red Bulls and then trans was transferred to RB Leipzig, that that was overseen very, very uh, meticulously by by Rangnick, and Rangnick has, has spoken quite quite fondly of the player. So the fact that he was that hands-on in an exchange uh, of a player from an, an MLS club to a Bundesliga club suggests that he he should be well aware of who Chris Armas is and. It'd be weird if he he didn't have much to do with him, if given that he wants him on his coaching staff now. But Rangit did caution on Friday that because of the the post Brexit regulations and the time it takes to obtain a work permit, that it it might be complicated. And he said he needs to be a bit clever about how he goes about re uh, recruiting coaching staff members 
I suppose in the case of Armas is that he's he's unattached. He was sacked by Toronto in in July. I think Bob Bradley's their coach now. Um, but he's he's got he's got a bit you know his his background is in, in MLS is quite quite comprehensive. But obviously it's it's a very very different um, kettle of fish going from the MLS to the Premier League. But again, it's it's an interesting appointment, and I think this is why United. In, in the case of Rangnick, what United needed, they they just needed an objective troubleshooter to come in there mm-hmm. and not bring in people um, from the past. And under Solskjaer, the, the the jobs for the boys beneficiaries list, you know, it was it was almost in double figures. And when you see what Evra said middle of last week, complaining about oh, it's not the Man United DNA, they're having to play like Rangnick's uh, football now. Uh, that that whole spiel about DNA being rammed down our throats, it just it, it really does um, highlight the problem at United in recent years, which has been that they've been stuck in the past. They've not modernised. They've not uh, moved forward. They talk about this mythical, outdated United way, and it's just obsolete now, and they need to get up to speed. And that's why Rangnick is a very, very progressive appointment because there's no attachment there with the club whatsoever. He can analyse things, players, structure, objectively. And so far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. The only the only thing I can offer on our mass after a quick Google search is that according to the Twitter account Smarter Scout, um, in his only full season as head coaches uh, in the MLS as New York Red Bulls, they had the fastest ball recoveries in the league with the highest press and players the most direct ac- attacking style. May have boosted their XG up by zero to zero point two four. So that's certainly kind there of. You go. You, you've done a better job than me there. Definitely. <laughs> there you go. I mean, um, I can only thank a smarter set for that, uh, which, you know, it certainly kind of tracks with what the aims of Rangnick have been. But as we say, Tyrone, there's, a, there's an interesting week coming for United. As we say, the Champions League match on Wednesday is a, pretty, it's a dead rubber. Um, United uh, already through top of the group. And then on Saturday, Norwich City away, which mm, pretty much a dead rubber, uh, in touch wood, because... You know, Norwich are pretty rubbish. Um, so you'd hope United. Uh, it's a two games where Rangnick again. He's finally been given a fortunate start there. Once, you know, I think I talked last time I was on the podcast of how if Solskjaer was sacked in the October international break, maybe or the November one, he still or the November one, of course, he still would have had the Chelsea and Arsenal games. Any new manager coming in after the international break would have had a hard start with Watford, Chelsea, and then Arsenal. So. The way it's worked out is kind of how it worked out when Solskjaer came in is that he had a few easy games to get on with to get over a good start. And now you've got Palace, which you know could have been a banana skin with how they're doing, but they've kind of gone off a bit recently. Then Young Boys now on Wednesday and then Norwich on Saturday. Certainly an interesting week for Rangnick to kind of, especially with the Young Boys game, to really experiment with his squad and give everyone a go. Because I say, I, I agree with Sam, I didn't think he was going to name many changes to his side uh, for the Palace game. But young boys, we can literally have 11 here. Like You could have a look at Henderson. He could get his first start since, I think, the West Ham Carabao Cup defeat, I want to say. Um, and then you know, injuries permitting and how many squad members he has. I think Mengi's been called up to the squad, hasn't he? And there's a Langer there, of course, as well. Um, a few players injured and whatnot. But it's high, he could certainly um, have a proper look at his squad uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, he could. And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I think the biggest benefit to that is that it would give the the starting eleven that played against Palace and that are likely to play against Norwich, another full session on Thursday, really. The, the Thursday session is going to be a recovery session for those involved against young boys. If that's the starting eleven again, then you kind of lose that day and you've only got Friday's session before they fly to Norwich. If 
you know, if that starting 11 are all rested on Wednesday, then they can have another full session on the Thursday and a full session on the Friday. And it's an extra training session under Ranjik. And, and that's kind of vital at the moment. Every training session is is more kind of, you know, memory in the bank for, for how he wants to play. So I think there's certainly benefits making widespread changes, partly to get a look at players, but but more importantly, to get that time on the training ground for, for key players and players that are going to start every week. There doesn't seem much sense to be starting Fernandez, Ronaldo, and you know the, the big names in in this game, it it makes sense just to to ring the changes really because it's at the moment that training ground time is particularly vital. And in a way, that's why you know we we don't know much about this this coach apart from you, Dan. You seem to know quite a bit about him over the last five <laughs> minutes. Um, but you know, most importantly, Ranić knows him, and Ranić knows he and he knows Ranić. He knows what Ranić wants, which is probably the most important thing because at the moment. You know, a, a head coach and a manager doesn't tend to oversee every session. You know, Fergie was always very hands-off. Solskjaer was pretty hands-off. Ranić has got to be very hands-on at the moment because in a way at the moment, he's coaching the coaches as well as to what he wants to do. He's telling McKenna, this is how I want the team to play. This is how I want a session to work. He's He's got to be coaching the coaches before he's coaching the players in a way. So to bring someone in, at least one person in who knows what he wants, who knows how sessions work under him, who knows what sessions will benefit the players on a match day, kind of will speed up that process on the training ground as well. So that's probably why it's why it's vital, really. And it's another coach where the, the rest of them, like McKenna and, and Martin Pert and whichever remnants of the Sarsgaard era remain, can, can kind of pick up through watching what exactly is required. So that makes sense on, on that front. And I think just this week is... You know, it's all about the training ground time in a way, which is why I think he should he should ring the changes against young boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Samuel, do you foresee any players who come, will come in against young boys kind of being the ones who could maybe kind of break into the starting eleven as we've seen at Palace? I think the only one I could maybe see at the minute is potentially, you know, if Henderson plays really well, maybe suits um, with his kind of ability on the ball. I could see Henderson maybe getting a, a nod above De Gea, even though... De Gea's had a good season. And then maybe Greenwood, as we said, coming in for Fernandez. Um, it would seem to... It, I feel like for Greenwood, having a left foot on the left side with Sancho a right foot on the right side brings that balance a bit more to a side. Like Apart from those two, or those two, do you see any more players kind of maybe forcing their way into the Premier League starting eleven after a given chance at Young Boys? I agree with Greenwood, but not necessarily as one of the tens. I think maybe alongside Ronaldo is would would be more suited to him. But he's he's still so young, and he's he's such a multifunctional forward that that maybe he might end up a little bit more um, withdrawn in that attack. As you said with Henderson, it's interesting to see what happens there because that that dynamic has been unsustainable for such a long time and Solskjaer never really made a, a decision there when Henderson got in the team last season uh, it was because David De Gea went on paternity leave when De Gea got back in the team this season it was because Dean Henderson uh, contracted COVID-19 and was laid low for a month that, that I know we we don't want to go on about Solskjaer too much but that was just not good management when you're you're waiting for a virus or you're waiting for you know, a woman to give birth to make your decision, make your mind up regarding the goalkeeper situation, you probably shouldn't be managing Man United. So how Rangnick goes about assessing that dynamic now is going to be interesting because I think one of the things he doesn't want is back passes to the goalkeeper. Um, I, I, in, in my research of Rangnick, there's not been a goalkeeper like that he's, that he's had planned for him that has been 
particularly stand out. But you would imagine you'll, he, he would want a keeper who comes off his line more than De Gea. But that said, De Gea has been excellent this season. He's been United's player of the season, arguably. Certainly, it's it's him or Ronaldo anyway. But Henderson is, is going to have to have a chance this week. And then they have to have a conversation as to what happens with him going into January, whether he does go out on loan, because they have got some some insurance policy there with, with Tom Heaton, who, although he's a number three, he, you could get by with him as as number two goalkeeper for, for five or six months, you would think. And beyond them, it's just a case of freshening the team up in, in the right areas. I think Rangnick said that because of the injuries they've got to contend with at the moment. And in the case of Phil Jones, he, he actually said he wanted to play Phil Jones in this game on Wednesday, but he can't because Jones wasn't included in the Champions League squad. So maybe Maguire or Lindelof will have to continue at centre-half because although Bailly will come in, Varane's still injured, is Ted Menke going to start? It seems, you know, it seems quite quite sudden, even though he should be on the bench, given that they'll need they'll need defensive cover there. And beyond that, it just, it, I suppose, with, with midfield, again, as, as Ty touched upon with, with Van der Beek, um, midfield is an issue because Rangnick is obviously going to want those two there every time. And the, the formation is probably going to be the same on Wednesday as well because that's what Rangnick wants. And United do need an identity again. But after Matic, Van der Beek, Fred and McTominay, you're out of options there. So that they're an injury away from that formation collapsing unless he does something quite innovative with it. So it makes sense to be protective of McTominay and Fred, given that they have started. Um, I think they've started the last four games, haven't they, ever since Carrick came in. So they have to be rested. And, and maybe in the future, Van der Beek will be able to get a chance in one of those two 10 roles that... Tuchel has settled on but I think for this midweek game it's probably likely that he'll be next to Matic then the front four I suppose it it, it depends on whether Lingard and Marshall are fit enough to play after their training injuries because that will have a huge bearing on who actually starts the game Well it's certainly going to be an interesting week Um, thankfully a a dead rubber game that would maybe usually be a bit bit of a non-sequitur will be quite interesting to see what we get from Rangnick and of course you'll be able to follow um, all the game, all the build-up, all the action and all the reaction over on Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester United. You can follow us on Twitter at Man United MEN and you get us on Facebook at Manchester Evening News, Manchester United, of course, as well. Thank you, everyone, very much for listening and we'll catch you at either some point this week or maybe even next week. Thanks a lot and uh, we'll see you soon. ta